Hello and welcome to Lawrence Forking, Kansas, the podcast about the people and the stories behind the local food you love. I'm Jake. And I'm Kristen. And today we're interviewing Dale Buchheiser, owner of Mr. Bacon Barbecue. Today we're talking with owner and pitmaster Dale Buchheister of Mr. Bacon Barbecue. Dale, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, so you know, if, if anyone hasn't had a chance to get out there and and try what Dale's doing at Mr. Bacon, um, he's just doing really, really awesome food. You've been uh, you mainly you do pop ups and like you can do catering as well. And uh, we've been able to catch you a few times uh, at, at Trevetti. Uh, Trevetti wine up there in North Lawrence. So we've had, uh, some great, you've got some great sausage. Um, those beer rocks were, were very delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know just everything we've had so far, really great. And just really, really love the, um, you can tell kind of how much, uh, passion you have around, around the, uh, you know, smoking the meats and kind of really just presenting, um, presenting some really good food. So yeah, we're really, really excited to hear kind of how you got into it and, and kind of, you know, what, how, how you became Mr. Bacon. Right on. All right. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you from Lawrence originally? I'm actually from Manhattan, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up there. I even went to school at K-State for one year. And then I transferred here to KU to do theater and film. And uh, while I was living here, I really liked to drink free state beer. Mm-hmm. And I knew the GM at the time. And so I went in and I was like, hey, I want to work here so that I can drink beer for cheap, if not free. <laughs> um, hire me, please. And I really didn't have much kitchen experience uh, prior to that. Um, so I just, I was a busboy for a hot second. And then I eventually moved into the kitchen as a fry cook and learned a few things there. Um, and so really it was just a desire to be able to like drink good beer that I met up with a really good crew, a solid crew of people who kept a very clean and organized kitchen. And so I learned a lot from this high volume, very popular local restaurant. Um, And then my sister's husband's college roommate's uh, brother's sister's husband ran (laughs) Vermont Street Barbecue. Wow. Back in the day. Yeah, I've heard of that. Uh, And... I also would go eat there a lot. And then I was like, how can I get this food for free? (laughs) And so I went in one day, didn't even have a resume in my hand. I walked in and I was like, hey, where's the kitchen manager? Where's the owner? Let me talk to him. I want to start working here. And then they hired me, started working there. And within a few weeks, I was an assistant pit master and just fell in love with barbecue head over heels uh just because i was like i want to eat this food so i'm going to work here that's awesome what year was that you said that was that That would have been in 2007 so that kind of got you got you the taste for it and and Mm -hmm. so so then how did you where where did you go from there then how how long were you with 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 vermont street Um, I was at Vermont Street Barbecue about a year. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my sister, who was in New York City doing theater, running a theater company up there, uh, messaged me one day and was like, hey, I got this grant to do a show. How would you feel about moving to New York to to do this show with me? I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm not doing really, I'm not doing much except for paying off college loans. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I just 
packed up with hardly any money in my pocket, moved to New York, uh, spent a few months there not working, just kind of like getting my feet wet, just seeing how things were. And then eventually I was like, man, I really need to get a job. I got to pay rent. Uh, and so I went to a bar that was a KU bar one in New day. York? In New York, yeah, they have actually have several KU like oh. supporting KU Whoa. bars up there. Okay, and there's a huge Lawrence faction, uh, oh. KU faction in New York City. It's it's insane. Like oh, there's wow. so many people there, um, and so I. Uh, started drinking there and they had a beer pong table set up. And so me and my friend who were actually, we're like, uh, we're beer Olympics partners. Oh. Uh, we've gone to a couple in New York, <laughs> got second place oh. on one. We got the silver medal. Oh, wow. pretty happy about that. Uh, we were just playing beer pong and then the man, the GM came by and started talking to us and I started chatting up with him. And the next day I get an email just being like, Hey, when can you come in for your first day of work? And I was like, oh, I don't even remember like telling him that I worked in a kitchen. So I went in there and I was just a line cook for a couple of weeks. And then I kind of got the hang of things, got things organized, started cleaning stuff up. And I'm like, hey, what you're doing up here, could you come do this at our main spot downtown? So I went downtown, did it there for a few weeks. And they're like, hey, could you come to our other restaurant that we have that's not this bar uh, and do the same thing that you're doing there? And to me, it was just like, it was the minimum work that I was taught to do here in Kansas. Right. But in New York City, for some reason, it was like spectacular. Wow. And it was basically just like, I had no chef abilities at all. I wasn't a recipe developer. I wasn't a menu developer. All I did was keep things clean and keep things organized. Yeah, that's huge. That's a big part. Yeah. yeah that's a big yeah. part. And then within three months of being there, they're like, hey, can you be our kitchen administrator? So someone who's never had experience with kitchen management or making recipes or menus, uh, all of a sudden I was in charge of seven different restaurants Whoa! and I was only like 28 years old and I had a bunch of old, old gentlemen who had been in the restaurant business for years, like under my command. And it was very weird. Uh, but I was just like, you know, this is, I guess this is how it goes. And I was, I was pretty happy. And then as I did that, Going from restaurant to restaurant, I just learned a lot of stuff. I started to learn how to do menu and recipe development. And a lot of these older gentlemen got to know me eventually. They called me Diablo Blanco for a while <laughs> uh, because I was known for being a really strict jerk to a lot of people. Uh, they use different words than jerk, <laughs> but I'm not going to say them right now. <laughs> But after a while, I eventually like earned their respect because I was in there in the kitchen. I was on my hands and knees scrubbing and cleaning and I was running every line on the or every position on the line. And so eventually I, I earned the respect of the guys I was working for and finally started to like learn some some stuff from a lot of people and start making up my own things as I went along. So you just kind of got su it's kind of funny story like really you just got like sucked into the the, the food yeah. service industry I, <laughs> yeah i did theater and film and i was a preschool teacher while i was uh at ku and then just because i wanted to eat and drink for cheap yeah. i am wow. now a chef and here you <laughs> or, are uh, a pit master sorry yeah I'm not a chef so, so how so then so from how did you get back uh, back, back here to Lawrence. Yeah, back to Lawrence from New York? Um, well, so uh, I was only a kitchen administrator there for a couple years, and eventually I was just like, this isn't that fun. Mm -hmm. I used to have a lot of fun, so I got back into barbecue in New York, and I worked at a Texas barbecue restaurant. I worked at a KC barbecue restaurant. And then I helped open up a couple ones by by the 
point that I was leaving New York, I was executive chef, coming up with menus on my own, doing pop-ups, opening up, uh, helping. Like I had a crew of guys I worked with who were like, hey, we're opening up a new restaurant. Come help us open up. So I'd do a spot with them. And then I'd have some other people like, hey, we got to train some staff. Come here and do some training uh, with our people. And so after just kind of getting tired of New York City, my wife and I was like, we got to get out of here. It's too expensive. We're just really tired. And so we took a super long honeymoon road trip across the country Mm -hmm. and visited relatives and friends and family that were all over the place. And uh, I did a big event down in Austin with a a pitmaster buddy of mine who has a food truck down there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I've been trained, I've been trained in Memphis, Kansas City, South Carolina, and Texas style barbecue, all from very professional, very amazing pitmasters. And so while I was in New York, I kind of developed my own style of, you know, like, what do I like? What do I like to do? And while I was performing, I performed a lot with my sister. Uh, We had a a monthly variety show. Hmm. And I started performing little cooking tutorials for people as Decadent Dale is what I called myself. (laughs) And it was a very exaggerated version of myself. I would, like, put pomade in my hair and grease it back. I had you know, shoulder length hair at the time, like wild, crazy curly hair. And so seeing me like tie it up and, you know, get it organized was like a fancy thing. Uh Uh, And I'd wear a bow tie and I'd, you know, tuck in my shirt and wear fancy shoes and I'd be decadent Dale and I'd go up there and I would teach people how to make like deep fried macaroni and cheese balls or how to make a stock properly or how to cut an onion properly, little things like that. I'd get the audience involved, I'd hand out samples, and I would show them little tricks of the trade, and the whole time I would just try to be as outrageous as I possibly could be, and just like being really goofy, and um, I even auditioned for a few cooking shows with the Food Network a few times, and I got pretty far, and then they'd be like, yeah, you're really great, but you're a little too nice. Wow. They're like, we kind of want wow. our chefs, we want our chefs to be like nasty and mean and like cutthroat, and I was like, oh, well, that's oh. just not me. Yeah. Uh, and that's one reason why I got back into barbecue and quit being the kitchen administrator because all, a lot of the people I worked with were just really angry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was a kind of a very toxic environment. And I was just like working myself to the bone. And I was like, I just want to get back to barbecue. I really miss it. It yeah. was so yeah. laid back. It was so easy going. Uh, so after our, oh, so long story short, after our big uh, road trip mm-hmm. situation, we ended up back here in Kansas. I became a pit master at Casey Joe's for a little while. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, and then I became a private chef for a fraternity up on campus with a company called Best Fed Greeks. And that was quite possibly the best job I've ever had as someone who's been in a kitchen hmm. because I was basically just doing catering for 80 guys for three meals a day as opposed to standing in a hot line, waiting for tickets, mm-hmm. working on weekends, working yeah. at night. Um, and then COVID happened. And, uh, I, you know, lost the contract with my frat and we had just bought the business, the Mr. Bacon barbecue business Mm -hmm. as like a side gig. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, so this is all we got right now. So that's when Mr. Bacon barbecue kind of got, got pushed to the forefront of my life. Uh, because at the time I was like, well, I don't feel comfortable working in kitchens and, uh, being out there in the public and we don't mm-hmm. know what's going on. So that's that kind of became the focus. So I spent the first year smoking a lot of meat, 
delivering it to friends in Manhattan, Topeka, Lawrence, Kansas City, and just doing meets, wrapped up, dropped off, and started really developing like how I was going to do what I do here in Kansas. And so that year kind of got me ready for this summer uh, where we actually finally started doing live events. So right around when COVID started, you say you had like acquired the business. So kind of so talk a little bit about when that. I, when we first moved back, I actually dropped my resume off at every barbecue restaurant in town just for funsies, just to see what was up. And I stopped by Mr. Bacon Barbecue in North Lawrence. And he was like, mm-hmm. oh, it's just me and my wife running this business. We really don't hire people. Uh, but then him and I got to talking. Uh, I'm a pretty big chatterbox when it comes to meat and barbecue and beers and things like that and whiskey and whatnot. So him and I just started chatting. He was like, hey, come grab some beers with me when I get out of work. And we just got to know each other and hit it off. And then we ran into each other maybe six months, seven months later at the grocery store. And he's like, hey, I'm going to retire. Do you want to buy my business for me? And I was just like, oh, well. Let me talk to my wife about it because, you know, you always have to talk to the boss first. (laughs) So we talked about it. And at at the time, I was like, this would work out really well with the job I have because a lot of the other chefs I was working with with Best Fed Greeks also ran their own either catering company or food truck. Mm -hmm. And like, this is great for the summertime when we're not working because you have events you can do and you can fill your time. And so I was like, oh, it's a good a good side business. It wasn't, it was never intended to be uh, the main focus of, of our lives. It was just supposed to be something fun on the side because I love barbecue Mm -hmm. and we decided it could be an interesting thing. So we bought the business and then, uh, (laughs) then COVID hit and we were just like, okay, well this summer isn't happening. Yeah. So uh, that kind of just forced us to figure things out and, you know, kind of like how you mentioned, pre-recording how you used to just have people come in and you would just sit around and chat and now we're doing it via uh computers and Mm -hmm. recordings so yeah yeah it it kind of forces everyone to kind of pivot a little bit and and rethink what they're doing but yeah i think it's a really good idea to do i mean just even to start just yeah having you know delivering it to people and yeah i think smoke you know yeah smoked foods do a pretty well being delivered because they they kind of they hold up well. Yeah, they hold they hold up well. Mm-hmm. It's not like some other stuff that I know. That's been the biggest challenge I think for a lot of restaurants was learning how to do, you know, takeout when that wasn't their main way of doing takeout. <laughs> yep. and, and sometimes and sometimes I, that food isn't the same. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to truly capture it the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the difficulties I find with with barbecue mm-hmm. uh, is that it's always best fresh. But then I've met, you know, some people in my day who, uh, like this guy named Mike Mills, who's a pretty famous barbecue guy from Southern Illinois, and he would always smoke his briskets, wrap them, chill them, and then reheat them and serve them reheated. Uh, When I worked at Casey Joe's, I found out that their briskets uh, were also, uh, pretty much everything they did was reheated. Uh, And most barbecue restaurants I'd worked at in the past, everything was served straight out of the smoker. Um, and so at first I was like, ugh, mm-hmm. and I was like a little snobby about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're using <laughs> microwaves. They're reheating leftover food. It's not fresh. Right. But then I found out there were certain steps you could take to make it, uh, even better. 
after you chill it and let those fats and juices settle and then when you reheat it the second time as long as you don't overheat it mm -hmm. it can actually come out even better than straight out of the smoker because uh, it has time for the meat to really soften up uh, to let those flavors just settle in let the smoke settle in and so uh, I you know when I moved back here I kind of was like I know everything I need to know about food and yet I am constantly learning yeah. every place I work at I always learn something new some new technique some new thing and so we had to figure out how to serve barbecue with easy to understand reheating instructions uh, and how can I make it still be good and enjoyable and uh, not have it be like crappy product? Because the mm -hmm. last thing I want to do is have inferior product associated with my name. Right. If I'm going by the moniker of Decadent Dale, it better damn well be Decadent. That's right. <laughs> Has Decadent Dale made an appearance in Lawrence yet? I feel like this. Is, uh, I feel like it's a so character that would work well. I I, I wear my uh, apron, my Decadent Dale apron, whenever I do events and stuff like that, because yeah. it's a it's a good conversation starter. People mm -hmm. see it. Yeah. Um, and I also try to wear kind of like an outfit. I call it my Mr. Bacon costume, where I will often wear a Hawaiian shirt with overalls. Uh, goofy socks and like Chuck Taylors, uh, nice. just because I'm like I'm like yeah I, I wear Hawaiian shirts because I've always loved the Homer Simpson quote of there's only two types of people in the world who wear Hawaiian shirts and that's big fat party animals and gay guys <laughs> and I'm like it's like well I'm not gay and I am a pretty big fat party animal so <laughs> uh, I like that. and you know so I got the Hawaiian shirt and I wear the overalls because I'm kind of done with belts and overalls often tend to be associated with barbecue for some reason like it's just a comfortable thing to wear when you have to do a lot of leaning over and picking up and you don't want your pants falling down and i mean yeah and whatnot so yeah the overalls and so I, even mr bacon is kind of like a character now even though mr bacon was actually the dog's name oh that's cute i didn't know that <laughs> so uh, so what kind of smoker do you have then do you have so i have a east texas double barrel reverse flow smoker and what that means is that means I have two barrel smoking chambers and I've got two racks on each chamber. Okay. Um, and reverse flow means that my smokestack is directly above my smoke box, but the, uh, there's these big steel sheets that go in my barrels where the smoke comes from the smoke box under the steel sheets up into my smoker through wow. the smoker mm. and out and the thing. Out, now, yeah. what, what that does is it basically just ensures a more even spreading out of like temperature. There's really no hot spots and cold spots. Mm. Uh, and if I wanted to, I could just pull my uh, steel sheets back and have the smoke come right up into whatever I have right there. And I could do a lighter smoke on one end and a heavier smoke on the other. But I really don't ever do that. I just like to do even throughout the whole thing. So I've got a, it's a it's a pretty big smoker. I can fit a lot of meat into it. Um, when we first started doing the meat deliveries, and I was only doing meats and not sides, it was a bit difficult because I was smoking a lot of product, mm -hmm. and my days were really really long. And now I've especially after this last season of figuring out what works well at these vending events, what people really want, and I've kind of had to you know, without any sort of alternate heat besides burning wood, 
Uh, I like it. I have no gas or electric heat in this thing. And I was finding that a lot of my stuff was just getting extremely smoky, mm -hmm. which some people will say you can never get enough smoke on meat. And then mm -hmm. other people will be like, oh, there's a certain amount of smoke you can get on it before you kind of want to like hold back. Yeah. Um, and so I was finding I was just burning through tons of wood. And I was having to do these really huge smokes that was just like taking up huge chunks of my time. Um, and now I've got it down where I'm smoking about four to five hours each time. And then I'm finishing a lot of product wrapped in butcher paper, wrapped in foil, and then popped into a conventional oven right. to finish it out. Um, mm -hmm. Because I, I always smoke at like 200 degrees. I rarely get to 250. Most people smoke at 250 or 275, 300 is mm -hmm. like the highest you would ever go, which is crazy to me. Yeah. <laughs> never get to 300 but 200 is a very low smoke yeah that's but what that does is it during the four to five hours i have my product in the smoker i am just billowing tons of blue smoke yeah. is what i'm looking for blue smoke is like wispy not acrid sweet smelling smoke and i'm just piling it on to create a nice beautiful crust and a really good smoke ring I've heard that a lot. I've heard that a lot where it's, yeah, you don't necessarily, I mean, yeah, obviously the big thing about smoking, one is the smoke, but then after that, it's really just low temperature, which, yeah, you can get that mm -hmm. in an oven. And once you, yeah, once you get the smoke flavor. Yeah. Then it's it. just a matter of finishing it up. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I just don't want to burn through my wood. And yeah, it's, it's, it's also me being cheap, but I also try to think green as much as I can. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to just be sending all this carbon dioxide into the air. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be spending tons of money. Uh, when I could just like pop it in my oven and finish it out. I've also found that a lot of my, the best product I have right now are my short form smokes, which are like hour and a half, two hour smokes, mm -hmm. which are things like my tequila lime chicken, my smoked tofu, the beer braise bratwursts, um, and my new item, which is like the hot ticket item I have out there right now, which is my smoked cream cheese. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Put, what do you put that on? Do you just eat like what? Uh, you can, like, I originally did it for a wedding for a buddy of mine uh, a few months back, and I saw some people doing this. I spend a lot of my time when I'm in my shop cooking, just watching, like, cooking videos and stuff mm -hmm. of, like, what people are doing, because I like to see what other folks are doing. And I, a friend of mine, the, the guy I worked with down in Austin, has a blog like a, a, a smoking blog that I listen to as well. And him and I chat with each other on Marco Polo a lot, mm -hmm. uh, which is just like a video chat on the phone. So mm -hmm. him and I are like constantly sharing ideas with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and so I saw someone do the smoked cream cheese and I was like, all right, I'm going to try this out for my friend's wedding. And I put it out on my charcuterie board and it, everybody came back and was like, that's the craziest shit I've ever had. <laughs> wow. And when I, for, the first time I smoked it, a couple pieces like fell off and I was just sitting there eating it. And then I ended up eating a whole block by myself. Cause I was just like, Oh my God, it's like candy. Uh, Cause I use my Memphis rub on it, which has a lot of sugar and mm. a little bit of spice. So it's like a little bit of heat, a lot of smoke and a lot. It was like this sweet, crunchy bark on the outside forms on the cream cheese and, I've put it on a, a ham and cheese press. I have stuffed uh, pastry with it. Mm. I've used it in my bacon jalapeno popper pimento cheese. Mm -hmm. I use it in my chipotle aioli. So I find ways of using this product, not only just selling it by the block, but by incorporating it into other stuff. 
And a big reason why is when uh, Rachel, my wife, and I started doing events here in town, we were trying to think about, like, what's the most Lawrence thing out here? Like, does Lawrence have a thing? And what we have discovered is that Lawrence puts cream cheese on effing everything. <laughs> you go to Yellow Sub and they have cream cheese on their beef eater and their California club and a bunch of and, and a bunch of other things. And you go to Pizza Shuttle and they got their cream cheese pizza. And we yeah, munchers, we, munchers, you got cream cheese donuts. Munchers the cream cheese donuts. <laughs> yeah. So like we started noticing that everybody was putting cream cheese on stuff and I was just like, you know, I do really like cream cheese. And I had been, I had already been making a series of schmears where I had like my bourbon deglazed caramelized onions and bacon schmear mm. or a charred scallion and bacon. Well, most everything has bacon in it. Obviously, Mr. Bacon kind of have to do stuff like that. Um, and so I'd already been working with cream cheese and I was just like, how did I never think about smoking this before? <laughs> and so now I've been doing that for about three months now. And every time I smoke it, I sell out of it. Really? And it's my most popular item that I have of like my new, besides burnt ends, yep. it's probably my best seller that I have right now. Wow. So how do you go about, I mean, putting cream cheese in the smoker, like how do you do that just from like a temperature and like Well, because I go so low, uh, oh. I'm, I'm never really worried about burning my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never go high enough to like break down the cream cheese where it falls apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same with my, my smoked tofu, which I call smofu. <laughs> um, I get extra firm tofu. I press the hell out of it to get as much liquid out of it as I can. I put the same rub on it that I, the Memphis rub goes on my smofu as well by smoking it at 215, 200, not ne- never as higher than 250. I am mm-hmm. pretty much ensuring that it's not going to overcook it and fall apart. Oh, okay. So wow. you, you've mentioned that Memphis rub a few times. Would you say I, what I always intrigued? You know, it sounds like you've 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 got experience cooking. You know, the different styles of barbecue. You know, from different regions. Do you have one that you gravitate towards more? Is it? Is it? Well, um, so Vermont Street Barbecue, the first barbecue place I worked at, was a Memphis slash Kansas City place. Okay. And so, like, I got to learn how to make Kansas City-style sauces, Memphis-style rubs, mm-hmm. and all sorts of meats while we were doing that. Um, and that was, like, my original, like, oh, yeah, this is great. This mm-hmm. Memphis rub creates the best bark in the world. I'm mm-hmm. all about the bark. Um, my biggest problem with Kansas City stuff is I often find that, like, sauce should be on the side, mm-hmm. if anywhere. Yep. It should not be on the meat. Uh, don't make that decision for me. And the last thing I want is like a crock pot pulled pork sandwich with Casey masterpiece drenched on it. Uh, You know, like I don't want that. I want something that has a a blackened, crusty, spicy bark on the outside with a Mm -hmm. soft inside that's still greasy and juicy. Um, And that's what you get when you have like Texas brisket, Memphis Mm -hmm. ribs. Um, And so that was like my first thing. And then I was a, I, I was at a Texas restaurant in New York for several years there. Um, I eventually became like their corporate trainer and they like shipped me all around to train other people how to like smoke and sell uh, things like that. And while I was there, I really fell in love with Texas barbecue because it's, it's really simple. Yeah. Their rub, their basic rub is salt and pepper. Yep. 
and uh, a little that you know like this place put in a, a touch of uh, cayenne pepper for just a little bit of heat and a little mm -hmm. bit of color but that was it it was very simple rub their sauce was called if you gotta have it sauce um, <laughs> and everything <clears throat> had that one rub on it and they only used Texas post oak wood so mm -hmm. it had a unifying rub it had a unifying wood smoky flavor and it was very, uh, I was very impressed with the integrity of this restaurant mm -hmm. because they would never put out inferior product. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was delicious. It was the barbecue restaurant that uh, my buddy, who was my beer pong partner, mm -hmm. uh, when I moved to New York, I was like, where can I get good barbecue here? And he was like, this is the place you need to go. Um, what, so what's, when what's I, the name of that place? Yeah, uh, Hill Country Barbecue Market. Okay. Um, and so when I decided to uh, leave my job as a kitchen administrator and get back into barbecue, I was like, well, I like this place. So I did kind of like what I do. I walked in and I was like, hey, you guys should hire me. Uh, and, and then within like a week, I was uh, a, a sous chef and pit master there. Wow. Um, just because I was just like, I want to work here. Here's, yeah. my, here's what I've done in the past. I'm very passionate about food. I think I would be a good addition here. And they're like, oh, okay, sure, sure, sure. We'll hire you. <laughs> so the, that, that got me really to, to enjoy like, Texas brisket is the end-all, beat-all brisket, if you ask me. Yep. It's so good. And if it's cut right, you get a little bit of that lean, a little bit of that moist with that beautiful bark on the outside. Um, mm -hmm. So I have uh, several different rubs and spice mixes that I use. One of them is my version of a Texas rub, uh, which has a few more things in it than just salt and pepper, uh, but it's still very basic. It's mostly salt and pepper. And then I have my Memphis rub, which has uh, fine ground espresso, three different kinds of sugars, a whole bunch of savory herbs, as well as a lot of spices. It's a, a lot of stuff. Uh, and that originally started as the Vermont Street Barbecue recipe that I took with me to do New York. And then as I learned different things from this chef or that chef, I was like, okay, I'm going to put this into this rub. I'm going to put this mm. into this rub. And now it's developed into my rub mm. over, over the years. And then the other main seasoning that I use is something that I call the spice, which is something I developed at a uh, kind of like a burger joint I was working at where I got really tired of having a salt and a pepper thing on my line. And I was like, mm -hmm. I'm just going to dump my salt and pepper in the same thing. <laughs> and then eventually I started messing around with the ratios of salt to pepper. And then I was like, well, I love granulated garlic. So I'm going to put some of that in there, of course. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, I got to get some heat in there. So I put in some ancho chili powder. Mm -hmm. And so eventually this was like a, a 10 year in the development of this particular spice mix. And now uh, I have that on my counter I never use salt and pepper in any recipes anymore. I always use my spice mix. If it calls for salt and pepper, I just put that in. Gotcha. Uh, and so this is great for just like, if I'm making eggs, boom, what's going on the eggs. If I cut up some fresh veggies and I'm making a little veggie platter, sprinkling that over the top. Mm. Uh, right now I'm currently roasting some corn in the oven, which just has a little bit of olive oil and some of my, the spice on it. Um, wow. And it has enough stuff in it that it will do the job that salt and pepper does and then a little extra so do you um 
you know, you, you do a d- bunch of different meats and all that. Do you have specific things you like to smoke more than others? Or, Well, I really like doing uh, my brisket. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and it's funny because COVID has forced me to figure out how to do my brisket and also my smoker situation. Mm. You know, I had I started by doing my briskets whole uh and then splitting splitting them about halfway through the smoke and rubbing them again and doing all this like uh, so much extra work mm-hmm. and i eventually figured out that like the reheating process doesn't do well with the lean brisket mm-hmm. but my burnt ends does well because i use the moist part the the point yeah. is mm-hmm. what it's called i use the point to make my burnt ends because those are nice and fatty i barely trim them mm-hmm. Uh, and I can get really good product out of that that does reheat very well. Um, actually had uh, a customer in Manhattan, Kansas, who always orders my burnt ends every single time I make a run there because he was like, I was very doubtful about your burnt ends and my daughter bought them for me and now that's all I want. And he's very, <laughs> p- and I was like, this guy is like super picky about whatever he eats. And I was, yeah. I was like, oh, right. I sold you on reheated burnt ends. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then I had to figure out what I was going to do with the flat. The flat is the lean part. And I was like, what am I going to do with this? Uh, I can't get really good burnt ends out of it. I can maybe skim the edges for some like fattier pieces, but uh, I still have this huge chunk of meat. And so I was like, you know what I love doing is I love braising stuff. I love cooking with alcohol. You'll notice that most of my meats has some sort of alcohol incorporated into it somehow. And so I used to do these braised short rib tacos in New York at at one of the restaurants I helped open. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to do the same process with my lean part of the brisket. So I would sear it, spice it, smoke it. And then I would finish it by putting it into a big pan of uh, brisket juice, uh, like drippings and some stock that I would make uh, and and a, a ton of whiskey. And I put it in there and finished it in there until it became like shredded beef and it just fell apart. Mm. And that is now my second most popular item that I have. And it came about because I had to figure out how to use this product and make Mm. it uh, be able to sell it and feel good about what I'm selling and not feel like I'm selling an inferior product. So whiskey brisket. It's a huge thing. And now the beer ox that I'm making is now stuffed with the whiskey brisket and uh, the smoked sauerkraut. Yeah, it's always it's key to, to find a, a use for everything too, right? Not have, not have mm-hmm. any waste. So it's, mm-hmm. it's re- rewarding to come out of it and say, oh, yeah. yeah Even all the drippings and things like that. Yep, you know? yep. And like I save my brisket fat to make gravy. Uh, any trimmings that I do, I chop up and fry in a skillet. And I make little beef chicharron that I put into my burritos. Mm. Uh, my burritos became really popular because when I started weighing out my meats, whenever I had leftover meat, I would just roll up a couple burritos for me and my wife. And she was like, you should just make these <laughs> to sell to people. Yeah. And I was like, okay, sure. So then I started selling some burritos with my random leftover bits of meat to like a couple of friends. And they're like, can I get this on a regular basis? <laughs> uh, and th- so that was another thing we did during uh, COVID was I had a lot of friends just be like, hey, could you just like make a meal for me and my family? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I would like make little meal kits, little packages, uh, and I didn't do sides on a regular basis because I was like, I don't have the means to store it all. Mm-hmm. And if I make a batch of a, a product and I don't sell it, then I got a bunch of waste. 
Uh, but I did start doing these little packages for like five, ten people uh, that did come with sides uh, that people could get. Um, and that really helped me kind of develop like, oh, what kind of sides am I doing right now? And my big hit was my uh, cobbless elote salad. I have that at every uh, vending event I do now mm -hmm. just because that was so popular. And that was one of my like, you know, lesser, in my opinion one of my lesser side dishes back in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, and up there I called it corn succotash because I did a few different things with it. But here I was like, I'm going to make a lote corn, but have it off the cob. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's my most popular side and I have it all the time. So it, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's funny how COVID has brought about so many different changes in my own cooking style when I rolled out here thinking that I was the, you know, uh, king of shit mountain or whatever you want to call Like I thought I was yeah. the best when I came here and I've, I've already learned so much Yeah, just being forced to deal with limitations. You know, like I said, brisket is fun to cook. People really enjoy it. I cook mm -hmm. it because people like it. I don't cook it because it's a, it's a very long process. There's a lot of things that go into it. And mm -hmm. I would personally rather not do brisket, <laughs> but it's too popular to not do. Uh, mm -hmm. But my favorite thing that I do is I do a cold smoked steak. And this is something that I put in for about a half hour, 45 minutes, maybe an hour at most at the very end of my smoke when I have a very small amount of heat, when I have the lightest, wispiest bits of smoke in there and I'm not putting any new wood on and I've pulled almost everything out and then I'll take a big piece of like a whole pound of steak. I'll usually do boneless ribeye. I've done uh, Casey strips before as well. Mm -hmm. Depends on what I can get my hands on really. I prefer a boneless ribeye because it has a lot higher fat content and really good marbling. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll put my Texas rub on it and I'll let it, uh, oh, but before I do that, I let it uh, kind of like dry age for a night in my refrigerator in the open air with just a little bit of salt on it. Mm -hmm. Then I'll put my Texas rub on it and I'll pop it in my smoker and I'll smoke it just long enough to get it to rare. Okay. Medium rare at the most. And I get a nice uh, amber bark on the... Not, I don't even want to call it a bark because it's not even quite a bark yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just comes out so beautiful and delicious. And when you reheat it, it does get cooked to medium, medium well. That's why I pull it at uh, the point that I do and I don't get a better bark on it because I want to try and keep it as steak-ish as possible. Mm -hmm. um, but I served it at this wedding where I smoked it and then sliced it really thin and served it cold with a chimichurri sauce and people went crazy over it. And prior to that, I had just been serving it as a big steak and I never thought about serving it cold. I'd always just given people like really easy searing reheating instructions. Right. And then I had a few people complaining about, I was like, it's getting too cooked. It's getting too cooked. And then I did this wedding where I served it chilled and it didn't get overcooked and it was nice and bloody. And so now cold smoked steak where I'm doing it at about like 180 degrees mm. for that amount of time is now my favorite thing to do. Cause I love steak. Yeah. Um, and actually while I was in New York, I ran a thing called steak and scotch society where we would eat steak and drink scotch. <laughs> that sounds cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's really fun. And uh, we tried to do that when we moved back here 
uh, and we actually did it quite a few times and then COVID happened. And so then we, we've really stopped. That's something I would love to start doing again. Yeah. Uh, but we just haven't really got, I've had a lot of my friends who had done it previously be like, we really need to do one again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we'll, we will do one again yes. and it will be spectacular. And, uh, you know, it's, it's this thing I've been doing it for maybe eight years now. And it started as kind of like a gentleman's bet between me and some friends where we gave a friend of mine some money at the beginning of basketball season. We're like, hey, make our bets for us. And then he won a bunch of money and was like, what are we going to do with these winnings? I could give you your winnings or we could go out, get some steak and drink some scotch and be fancy gentlemen. And I was like, all right, sounds great. And so we did that and it was delicious. And I was like, man, this is like, how come people don't do this all the time? And then I looked at the bill and I was like, oh, oh. that's why. <laughs> that's why. Uh, so then like, you know, time passes, time passes. And then my wife is part of a book club with a bunch of friends of mine. And uh, I love reading books. I've always loved reading books. I, I was a fat kid when I was younger and I loved reading books because of Book It. Because I would get a free personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. I mean, Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I was just like, oh, can I join your book club? And they're like, sorry, no significant others allowed in book club. And I was just like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm going to start my own club <laughs> where we drink scotch and where we eat steak and no significant others are allowed. <laughs> uh, and so it started with just me and one other friend just meeting up together and drinking an entire bottle of scotch and eating steak with bacon and cheese. And we're like, this is awesome. Let's invite other people. So we started inviting other people. And as time went on, more and more people started coming and we started coming up with some rules. Cause some people like I brought green bean casserole and I'm going to trade this green bean casserole for my entry fee to steak and scotch. So I had to make a rule where I said, there are no sides involved. There is no bartering. There is a flat fee. And then eventually we had to make a caveat to the rule of no significant others because my wife eventually went to a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. And when she was like, I want to invite someone to steak and scotch. I was like, well, you can't because you're not a member and only members can invite people. (laughs) And she was like, I've been to nine and I'm not a member yet. I was like, Hey, it's like rule number one. You can't be a member. So eventually we made a rule that said if a significant other goes to a certain amount, they can eventually become a member of Steak and Scotch. Uh, and so it became a pretty big thing in New York. The largest amount of people we had at one was around like 26, 30 wow. people. Oh, wow. Um, so this is like a secret society at that point. It, well, yeah. we, it started getting very culty because a lot of us were theater people. And yeah. I love like pomp and circumstance. And so like eventually we started wearing, you know, like one of the rules was, oh, we wear ties because we're fancy ladies I mean, and gentlemen. Right. So we wear ties. Uh, and so we started wearing ties and then people started wearing like fancy jackets. And then, uh, uh, a friend of mine was like, Hey Dale, your cheese game is lame <laughs> because the only cheese that I was doing anytime was a smoked Gouda or blue cheese crumbles. Cause that's what I liked. And that's mm-hmm. what I bought. Uh, and, sh- and I was like, if you think my cheese game is lame, then you can be my minister of cheese. <laughs> and so she's like, all right, great. So I made her a minister of cheese and she became like the first person that I started delegating my powers to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she started bringing really, and I'd be like, here's how much it costs. Uh, this session costs $50. So go buy $50 worth of cheese and your session is free. Um, 
And so she would spend 50 bucks on really good cheese. And I was like, okay, this is great. This is what we're doing. And then her husband, who eventually became a member, uh, I started teaching him a few things here and there. And I started teaching him how to cure bacon. And so I made him my baron of bacon. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and then, you know, they each had a goofy hat signifying their, their office. Of course. Uh, and so eventually I started handing out titles to people to be in charge of this or that and that and this. Uh, and, so it did, and so a lot of ritual then started forming in the process. So there was an induction ceremony after you went to a certain amount of events. Uh, and then we read the story on the bottle uh, in our best, worst Scottish accent. Uh, that's like one of, the, one of the main rules. There's like 10 major rules. Uh, I've been going on this about taking Scotch society for, for a bit too long, I feel. Uh, I'm just very passionate about it because it was one of the most fun things that I did in New York. Because it was a great way to bring all sorts of people together in New York City. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that the places I would host these at always had backyards. And the people, it was usually me or my minister of cheese and her husband, the Baron of Bacon, uh, who would host because we had backyards. Mm-hmm. We did it at a couple other places here and there when we had smaller groups. Um, but it was, it was great because we would have people that were really young and people that were really old gathering together for this one purpose and you know like we weren't mickey mousing around i was like this is what we're doing we are here to do this and this is what you know like there are no sides and you know damn you if you bring a side to my steak and scotch society so it brought a lot of people who would have never have met each other who would never have hung out with each other together and it became a really big thing and it actually still goes on in new york i passed the torch when i left and I, I gave up a lot of my powers, as it were, to uh, the, the people who I left back in there. And right now, there's actually a chapter in Boston, upstate New York, New York City, San Francisco, Austin, L.A., Kansas City, and Washington, D.C. Wow. Of people that I have either made uh, ambassadors or... Uh, <laughs> They're their own chapter president after they were an ambassador to start. Um, so now I have all these other people running their own stake and scotch societies with their own new rules. Uh, and there's costumes involved. I have a whole regalia that I wear now because people are like, hey, Dale, I found this really neat robe that you might like to wear. And I was like, OK, it's a gilded robe. Great. I'll wear it. <laughs> uh, so it's it's goofy it's nutty and uh we'll eventually do one again but that gets back to the whole steak thing i love cooking steak i love drinking scotch i love cooking with alcohol um and so that's that's my my absolute favorite thing i do is my cold smoke steak so that's i knew i had a purpose to that whole <laughs> rigmarole right there yeah well, well and what i hear there and i, and I, th- I think it, it goes back to what you're doing here is you like bringing people together and i imagine mm-hmm. that's what this pop-up doing some of these pop-ups and at these different event spaces right i, I think what you're doing is being able to provide food and pro- be in an environment with a bunch of different people right so i think that's oh yeah i i love meeting people yeah uh when i when i was in theater I loved uh, the the people I did theater with, the groups of people, the the friends I formed, uh, and those were most of the people I visited. Because when we all graduated, a bunch went to Chicago, mm-hmm. some went to Minneapolis, St. Paul, some went to L.A., some went to New York, and so when I went back on my trip, I just hit up yeah, different groups of theater friends, and we've all stayed. You know, I've been graduated for 
13 years now <laughs> since I graduated. And so we're all still in touch and we're all still really good friends. And it's because we did theater with each other. And while I was in, while I was doing theater here in Lawrence, I would often have these huge parties at my house where I would cook for everyone because I just love seeing people happy and food makes people happy. Uh, and so I'm just like, here's what I can do to, mm-hmm. to spread the love, spread the joy, make people happy. And I think I got that from my mom, really, because when I was in high school, she would do these dinners for college students that were part of our church. And it all started where she would invite a couple of youth leaders from our youth group over for dinner, for like a home-cooked dinner at our house. And then those youth group leaders like, can I bring my roommate? Can I bring my friend? And then by the time I graduated high school, we were having 50, 60 people at our house every week for these dinners that my mom would cook from scratch. Wow. Wow. And, uh, you know, bless my dad for just being like, okay, this is what you want to do. For going along with that. And Mm -hmm. like, she never charged a dime. She did it because that was her way of reaching out to people. And it wasn't about religion, uh, even though a lot of religion was like tied into it uh, because she did it. It started as a church thing. Mm-hmm. For the, for her, it wasn't about converting people to become a Christian. It was about just spreading love and spreading joy and helping college students eat because a lot of them don't eat properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I brought a lot of my high, you know, like 10 to 15 of those people that were there every week were my high school buddies that I would bring along because a lot of them uh, didn't have close relationships with their parents at home and didn't do family dinners and things like that. And so they were kind of like an extended family. And a lot of those friends I still hang out with here in Lawrence or Kansas City or Manhattan. Uh, and they still bring up those memories of my mom doing those dinners because it was, it was like, they're like every week. That was like the, every Thursday night, I looked forward to that. That was like the thing that I really loved doing when we were kids together. And so I think watching my mom do that and watching the spreading of the joy really like planted that seed deep down inside of me that was like, I can make people happy. I can make the world a better place through food. That's, That's amazing. So tell us a little bit about some of your upcoming events and where people can find Mr. Bacon. Well, we're we're nearing the end of the season, quote unquote, as a as it kind of goes right now. Um, I've got my last Trevetti event this nice. Saturday from three to six, and I've got my last couple days at the replay on Friday and Sunday for Halloween, and I'll be back at the replay when my wife and I get back from going back east to visit her family and go to a wedding of a friend of ours. Um, so we'll be gone for a couple weeks, but then when we get back, we've got Thanksgiving coming up and Christmas is coming up as well. And one of my favorite things to do during Christmas is I do a uh, Bubby's brisket, which is a very like sweet and savory, herby fork tender brisket that gets cooked in a very special like Jewish brisket sauce. But I, my twist on it is that it's smoked Mm, and not just baked in the oven. So I'll be doing some Bubby's brisket uh, for Christmas. I'll be doing some buttered turkey for Thanksgiving. Um, And the, the, uh, something I'm actually going to start cooking tomorrow morning when I wake up 
is I'm making a birria, beef birria for the first time, which is like a beef stewed in adobo sauce pretty much. So I'm making my adobo sauce from scratch and I had my beef dry aging the last few days and I just put it in the uh, special birria rub tonight. And then I'm gonna smoke it tomorrow, get a nice crust on it and then put it in the adobo, adobo sauce that I'm making. I'm going to stew it till it falls apart. And I'm going to be putting that with some freshly chopped onions and jalapenos on mm. a roll tomorrow. Wow. Well, yeah. that sounds great. <laughs> so that's a that's the that's the fun yeah. item for this weekend. Um, I've just been seeing a lot of videos of birria tacos and I was just, and I have eaten them a few times at uh, some uh, at some food right. food truck things mm. and I was just like, "Man, these are great. I wonder if I could do it myself." So for the holiday season, what's the best way for people to um, order that stuff? So do they like if you want to order stuff ahead? Um, You can find us at Cotton's Farmer's Market. It's now indoors for the rest of the season. And we'll be having all uh, not all of our meats. But if you let me know by Tuesday, because I do my smoking on Wednesday. uh, But if you let me know by Tuesday of anything you want, I can pretty much get it smoke it and have it ready for you on thursday you pick it up there then um or you can come pick up some of our frozen selections that we have there uh and we have uh, a smaller menu every week and i usually have some beer rocks and a new batch of smoked cream cheese and i often make some sort of preserve with bacon this last week i did a hard cider Mm -hmm. bacon apple butter that went really well um and I'll have to make a new one of those. So yep. we're going to be gone for a couple weeks. And then we'll be coming back and just starting to rock yep. out for the rest of the season. Uh, Facebook, you can contact us via Facebook. Send us an email. Um, I think Instagram has messaging as well. But I also, I don't I don't <laughs> check the gram. Um, that's usually my wife does that. But I respond to um, emails and texts okay. rather well. Sure. Well, awesome. That's good. Yeah, definitely. People got to check you out. That's a great, great option for the holidays when you don't want to do the cooking and mm-hmm. all that. Get to. Yeah, and if people want, uh, I'm not doing whole turkeys this year because they take up too much space, and I'm mm-hmm. kind of over whole turkeys. If someone wants a whole turkey breast, I can do a whole turkey breast. If somebody wants a whole brisket, I can do a whole brisket. Otherwise, it will be the boobies brisket, like nice and sliced, mm-hmm. and very tender, with a little bit of sauce to pour on it. Um, uh yeah so and i also you know like i've had people request uh lamb or goat or other random things and pretty much if you ask me for something i can smoke it uh for vegetarians i got my smoked tofu i also can do smoked veggies portobello mushrooms peppers onions right you know whatever you want i can do it and uh, something i often tell people when they ask me to do like a wedding or a birthday party or something is i'm just like Yes, I do barbecue. Yes, I love barbecue and it's delicious and what I make is fantastic. Uh, not to toot my own horn. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I'd been an executive chef in New York for a very long time and I picked up a lot of stuff while I was there. I can do much more than barbecue. Yep. Um, and if there's something that's like a regional specialty that you want, then I can do it. Um, I did this wedding last year where somebody was like, I'm from Arizona and I love having green chiles and everything. 
what can you do with that? And I was like, oh, I can do lots of stuff with green chiles. Mm -hmm. And so I made like a green chile mac and a tomatillo sauce to go along with the tacos that we did for their taco bar for their wedding. Mm. Um, so yes. pretty much like if, if, if someone can show me how to do it, I can figure it out and then add my own little decadent Dale twist to it. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. awesome. Well, thanks so much for talking with us today. It was really fun mm -hmm. to kind of hear more about you and your background, Mr. Bacon, and it's just really interesting. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, so everyone be sure to check him out on his social media pages. Uh, definitely, like you said, uh, yeah, I've seen you post some pictures there uh, on, on the Facebook and Instagram. So, um, so yeah. Be sure to check you out and uh, look forward to seeing more of what you do and, and getting some of that meat and, uh, yeah, keeping us warm during this uh, winter that seems to be approaching faster than we would like. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Lawrence Forking, Kansas. We had a great time chatting with Dale Buchheister of Mr. Bacon Barbecue. If you're able to support the local food scene during this time, we really encourage you to do so. You can order delicious food. Uh, we got there's beer, coffee. There's cocktails to go. There's so many local businesses doing great takeout and delivery. Um, and even today we learned, you know, you can get some great barbecue uh, right to your doorstep. So really great options. And we're going into the winter here. So just, oh, you know, just really keep supporting these restaurants and, and, and food businesses in town because love having them here. Another way to help support the local food scene is to please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating. That'll help other people find it and spread the word about different local businesses. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at Lawrence Forking, Kansas, Instagram at Lawrence Forking, Kansas, and Twitter at Lawrence Forking. Feel free to find our pages, like us, follow us, leave us a comment, subscribe. All those great things. We love seeing some feedback and love hearing what you want to hear about. So um, definitely check it out. And also check out the 785 Collective. This is a new uh, venture by the Lawrence Times that we are now a part of. Uh, just, to, you know, kind of collecting a lot of local podcasts, putting us all together in one great spot. So that's 785collective.com and find some more local podcasts to listen to. And if you're a restaurant or a food business owner here in town and you're interested in coming on the show, please just go ahead and reach out to us on social media or you can send us an email at lawrenceforkingkansas at gmail.com and let us know. We are always looking for new people to talk to and would love to have you on the show. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.